Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. to the Denver Stiff Show. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn, at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Thursday afternoon as I've changed the time of recording for this podcast uh, drastically in order in order to accompany a couple of things. The first being uh, the timing of my guest, who I wanted to accompany for sure, but the second being that the Broncos are playing tonight, Thursday Night Football, and, and I just didn't really feel like doing two things at the same time. Uh, my guest today is probably not going to watch the Broncos game tonight, but you never know. He'll, we'll see what happens with him. It is uh, the king of Thornton himself, Jeff Morton. Jeff, are, are you expecting to indulge in Broncos talk to, uh, tonight on Thursday Night Football? Well, unfortunately, I have to because I have this fucking radio show, right? So, <laughs> uh, you know, that's one of the drawbacks of being in Denver because, like, you have to talk about the Broncos when you have a radio show. And unfortunately this has locked me into, I don't know what I, I should have known this locked me into having to watch this dog crap game, but I'm podcasting during the first like, uh, you know, half of it. So I'm not going to be subjected to the calamity that will be that game tonight. Hopefully most, must have been at least. Yeah, they're they're playing the Jets tonight, and I I hope they do well because the Jets are awful, and there's there's no way around that that they they yeah. should win that game despite the fact that they're onto their backup quarterback and, and it's the Adam Gates Bowl. Yeah, like that's uh that should be a revenge game for people, and I I think that they would they would love to to win that one, but you yeah. never know. Um, so I told you I was going to share an anecdote at the beginning of this podcast about. One of the reasons yes, why, yes, why I was late. Uh, <laughs> I am exhausted. Uh, I woke up at 2 a.m. this morning and haven't been to sleep ever since. I, I tried to oh get my. a little bit of shut-eye right before our podcast, and I was, I was squeezing out the last few seconds before having to get up to my computer to record this bad boy. <laughs> oh um, just trying to take a nap right, right before getting on. So... That, that leads me to, if, if anybody feels like sponsoring the show, especially those relating to sleep-related products, I will absolutely talk about your product and indulge in your product, whatever it is. If it's a mattress, if it is a, a <laughs> sleepy time tea, if it's a, a nice, nice, uh, uh, what, whatever it ends up being. I, I just wanted to, uh, to throw that out into the world that we, we get a nice 18 to 49 male demographic. And, uh, oh, yeah. I think you, you, you all would enjoy that and you would have some results from, from especially my demographic well, for sure. <laughs> You know what it is. I mean, uh, Gordon, Zach, and I have talked about this on, on my podcast is that, you know, you're, you're a youth and you, uh, people who are youthful stay up late. 
and, and that, is, that is expected, you know. Um, and I used to stay up till two, three in the morning all the time. Sure. And just speaking for me personally, uh, once I started losing a lot of weight, suddenly, and I, this is weird, my sleep schedule went from go to sleep late to go to sleep really early. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how that corresponds each other to be honest because my body was like oh okay well we're going to be go from being normal which is like going to getting sleepy about 10 to your eyes will start like getting heavy at eight because those late nuggets games were <laughs> killing me the last year killing me yeah I, so, yeah i was just gonna ask like like with with the nuggets being on such a late time schedule uh, especially with even a lot of their games in the bubble like like some of them were in the afternoon but some of them were were in the late evening how did yeah. you deal with that and and what was that something that you expected to have to deal with uh it, it's it's weird you know be, i i remember when i first started uh being as a credentialed media member eight nine years ago nuggets had a ton of eight thirty games and even going past where they were um uh really bad yeah, uh, they would still get the odd uh, game against the Brooklyn Nets at eight thirty at night or something like that. And I remember I would stay at the arena till about one in the morning doing the post game stuff and then uh, doing all that. I could not. I mean, this last year specifically, and may and the year before too, uh, I could not. I mean, it was at like in the third quarter. I start like. I'm in the arena and my eyes are getting heavy, right? Yeah. And it just completely killed any sort of work I'm able to do. And so I ended up <laughs> drinking coffee at halftime. That's what I've resorted to. And if you know anything about people who are over 40 and when they drink coffee past a certain point, it does weird shit to your body. So I would not recommend that. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, I can, I can totally see that. I can totally see you. You're reacting to that. Uh, that's it's just quite weird. And with the Nuggets getting as as popular as they are now, I kind of expect that to continue. I kind of expect them to continue having oh, yeah. those primetime games where where they get that second slot on on ESPN or TNT or whatever oh, yeah. whatever broadcast oh, yeah. they're getting going forward. It's whether it's against the Clippers or the Rockets or the Lakers or whoever. Like mm-hmm. they'll they'll be on that slot now. Yes, and and for some reason, uh, T, uh, the NBA hasn't figured out Mountain Time Zone yet, and I guess that's because there's two, yeah. two only two teams in the Mountain Time Zone. But um, it would be nice if they like would just go ahead and create a different, a different type slot for the Mountain yeah. Time Zone. Because I hate, hate those eight thirty games now, because they don't get started till almost nine. Like, yeah, because it's it's not even eight thirty. It's it's eight forty five, mm-hmm. and and like you go until about eleven eleven fifteen at night, and mm-hmm. then if you're doing the post game and if you're you're oh. doing your job, like you're you're not leaving the arena until well after midnight. So oh, it's just yeah, it's too bad. Um, but this as, is old. This is, I pull I pulled you into old man talk. That's so <laughs> okay. I'm gonna pull you into young man mode here. <laughs> Uh, 10 a.m. Okay, this good, morning, good, uh, good. Michael Malone he he recorded his end of season uh, yes he end did. of season Zoom call with the with the media. Were you on that one? Yes, I was. I asked a question on that one, and it, it's 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 yes, very did. rare for me to ask questions, and 
I, I asked about Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray and their continued growth into leadership roles over this bubble period. And, and Malone had a lot of great things to say about those two in general, specifically Jamal. Uh, was that the biggest takeaway of the season for you? Just, just the growth of those two into a dynamic duo or was it something else? Was it something else entirely? I'll be honest with you, Ryan. It wasn't until the bubble. I mean, yeah. the, the Denver Nuggets up till March were a weird team. And I think what a lot of the bubble stuff has kind of obscured a lot of the issues and the staleness that this team had prior to the bubble. They were behaving, you know what they reminded me of? And I was just actually thinking about this today after Malone's presser. Remind, they, their behavior reminded me of like the 2002 Lakers, where they would just kind of ho-hum it through the season. Like Shaq would take about 20 games off. You know, he didn't get in shape until like late in the season. And then, you know, of course, it's air quotes in shape for Shaq by that point. And it reminded me of that because it was like it was like they were just kind of on autopilot until they went through that stretch in January where um, they had all the uh, injuries and they were forced to play with some desperation and they showed what they could do specifically Jokic. That was his standout month to me uh, other than obviously some of the stuff he did in the bubble. Jokic just stand that month to me was January um, and into a little part of February. Problem was once everyone got healthy again, the attitude came back and the, the, the blahs came back. I mean, honestly, Jamal, <clears throat> Jamal had a weird year. And right. with the expression going around, now, maybe you agree with this, and I, I don't want to step on your question here, but um, the expression of 16-game players is, is coming up, and uh, they're being applied specifically to Nikola and uh, Jokic and, and, and Jamal. I mean, I get that. But both are capable of being a little more into it during the regular season. And I think maybe next year, I hope that they would be more into it. I guess it was how I would go into this because they don't, they don't, uh, they don't serve themselves any good if they kind of autopilot, specifically Jokic at the beginning year. If you know, if you autopilot it, you're just not doing your team any good. You know, you have to be at least somewhat engaged. And I'm hoping that they both are coming into next season. It's fascinating. And I'm I'm glad you brought that up because it it really was lost given the resiliency and the toughness and the mental fortitude that they showed in Mm -hmm. bubble play. That wasn't, I mean, it wasn't really around during the regular season. That wasn't their identity at all. Uh, yeah. One of the things that I, I've taken from you is that you, you've long said that you struggled to identify with this group of players throughout the regular season. I think uh-huh. I assume that probably changed a little bit in the bubble, just based off bit. of the the toughness that they showed and who who showed up, who didn't show up, whatnot. Yeah. But uh, it, I just I find it fascinating the the divergence between those two. They're clearly just two very separate entities. And they showed completely different uh, yeah. from the regular season to the bubble. Uh, yeah. Do you think that's sustainable? Like this bubble play? Uh, well, we could get into that a little bit in the next segment. But like, is it sustainable for 
Nicola and Jamal specifically to take that intensity and at least like provide 90 to 95% of that during a full 82 game season? Because Michael Malone talked about that today with regard to Jamal. Jamal, uh, the problem with Jamal is that he, the way he plays I can't imagine someone burning themselves out. It would be like he's burning the candle at both ends. That's very good for a very short time span. Um, I can't imagine him trying to do what he did in the playoffs in the regular season because it would be right. It would be that bad. Um, the problem is, it's like it, here's a here's a good here's a good anecdote um, at media day last year or this the year that just ended the 2019 it was uh it was actually (laughs) the funny thing is it was actually september 30th 2019 which was almost exactly a year ago it was a year and uh, one day ago a year and a day ago i asked michael malone the question and well both he and uh, tim Connolly the question i said the west is stacked and there's a very good chance that you'll win less games this year but be a better team. And Malone reacted poorly to that question. He kind of he kind of glared and, and demurred to uh, to uh, Conley. And Conley was like, "That's a good question because the West is you know stacked, and we all we got to do is see the progression in our team, which is what I was going for." Um, if Malone looks at things in all by the way this is not a malone thing all coaches look at things like it is 60 games or excuse me not 60 games 82 games <laughs> 60 games sure well, only if um if only and <laughs> if only and uh because they are judged largely on wins and losses in the regular season so you know you could see why he would have that perspective um but the team that emerged this season is not a 82 game team and that's it, it's really what it is. Uh, a lot of George Carl's teams were 82 games, you know, and then they kind of flamed down the playoffs. Now we could talk about this whenever you're ready for it. I think a lot of the nuggets virtues and flaws came out in the bubble. And uh, I think the flaws are going to be harder for them to solve than keeping their virtues. I'll put it to you that way. No, let's talk about it now then, because I think, okay. I think that's fascinating. What would, what would you say, was their best virtue in okay. the playoffs and what was their biggest flaw that started to show? Um, the biggest virtue was toughness, obviously, and resilience. I mean, that's it's simply, you know, that's simply what it was. They, they became a team that uh, – I apologize to people who are listening to this. My my thing, my device was about to fall out of the place that I had it. So uh, <laughs> uh, they they showed toughness and they showed a resilience that I think that is admirable and is extremely hard to, to duplicate, um, and it's extremely hard to buy you can't buy toughness you you have to have it developed over time it's not something that can be um just acquired via free agency right there's certain aspects of toughness but mental toughness like that it is is born over time right and i think that was really really borne out 
Um, the flip side of that and the kind of the flaw is the fact that they were absolutely in the, in the Lakers series specifically is where the flaw came out. And it's the fact that they did not have enough size or rebounding toughness, which resulted in a ton of second chance points for the Lakers. The Lakers are a little different. They're a little bigger. They are uh, built differently. Um, they are a big team that runs, which is not something you see much, um, particularly not from this Nuggets team. And they just, they just were not ready for the ability of the Lakers to get second chance points. That killed them. Uh, Jeremy Grant is a great uh, addition to this Nuggets team, but he ain't a rebounder. And they kind of missed any sort of ability to rebound the ball, both offensively and defensively, and it just killed them. And really, and I pointed this out on Twitter today, on the margins, that is where they got exposed. And I don't know if there's anything readily available for them to address that need. Yeah, especially not like immediately on the roster that makes a lot of sense. Like Will Barton mm-hmm. would be like he's he's a rebounder for a guard, but when you put him against yeah. LeBron James, the rebounding advantage isn't existent anymore because of the physicality right. difference. Uh Paul Millsap versus Anthony Davis. That there, there were a lot of times where Millsap did try to get physical with Anthony Davis, mm-hmm. but he he just wasn't able to jump with him and Milsa and, and Davis tapped out clutch rebounds just over the top of him just because he couldn't jump. Yeah. Um, the other implication I think that, that people haven't talked about with the resiliency is the, the flip side of it was that they're always getting punched first. And, and this has been yeah. a staple of this nuggets team for the past couple of years is yeah. that they have not been doing the punching in any of these playoff series, in all okay. five playoffs, they've gone down two one. Um, in most of, like in three of the five, they've gone down three one. Yep. And I think there is some, at least uh, there, there, there's a reason for that. It's not just because the players were tired in the first games of of the second and third playoff series, although there is some implication there. Uh, Denver's first punch isn't usually good enough and it hasn't been good enough Mm -hmm. for a while. And they've had to get creative with some of their adjustments and Jokic and Murray have, are often slow to kind of get into a playoff series. They play better by the end of it, but they they don't necessarily play their best at the beginning of things. Right. I think that Denver's first punch and this comes in the regular season as well because you don't often go to your second, third, and fourth punches in the regular season. No. Their first punch was not good enough this year. It was it definitely wasn't good enough last year for a championship contender. They have mm-hmm. got to start finding a baseline for the production and efficiency and overall effectiveness that they provide on a consistent basis. And that that's probably my biggest takeaway for this year was that they didn't have that baseline at a consistent basis and Murray and Jokic bailed them out on several occasions. I, I agree completely. And that's a good way of putting it. Um, and a lot of that is an extension of, of a coach that 
is very slow to adjust, right? Um, and people are going to take this as a, you know, it's a shot at Malone, and that's not it at all. Um, Malone, where he has um, had an issue, is his ability to impose the team's will on another team. Right. And what happens is it takes, because he is slow, so slow to adjust to things, it takes three games for something to happen. I mean, let's face it, that game three, and people need to look at game three of the Utah series as a real watershed moment, okay? Because a lot of what happened so long ago, and it was such a good playoff run that people don't really think about it, right? But game three was an awful game of the Utah series. The Nuggets basically quit. Yeah. And it was a game, a game where um, I, I, I said this on my podcast with uh, Matt Moore. I, uh, Matt, Michael Malone understood that he needed to let go of the reins and stop being so tight. Right. And he did that. He really did. And game four, which the, it was a close game and the Nuggets could have won. They started figuring things out. A team that takes so long to adjust is you're going to get bit eventually, right? You're not going to always be able to come back from three, one down. Um, It's just the law of averages will catch up with you. Um, and you'll not always be that team that can sneak up on people or out resiliency people or whatever that <laughs> out sure. resiliency. Um, you, you won't be doing that. So a lot of that is because Malone is so slow to adjust. I mean, you look at Rick Carlisle, he's adjusting before they get out of the locker room, basically in the fir- in the middle of the first quarter, he sees what they're doing and then he makes an adjustment. And sometimes a guy won't ever get back in the game. Right. Um, it is just the way he works. There's a diff- There's a nice happy medium between that and what Malone does is which is just kind of wait till everything is very obvious to him. He needs to take the advantage and he needs to be the aggressor with that. And I think that is where hopefully, fingers crossed, the next evolution of Michael Malone resides. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with any of that. It seems to me like... Malone being slow on the draw on a lot of those things has mm-hmm. put Denver behind the eight ball consistently. Right. And if, if that's going to be the identity of the team, then they probably have to amass such a high talent level that they counteract it because they're so good. Um, yeah. I still think that Malone has earned the right based off of the culture that they've, that they've, assimilated and and have have really created over this playoff run he's he's earned the right to go through those ups and downs with this team and try to figure that out um however it it is something that i think he has to understand in himself and it's something that he has to understand in the in the dna of this team that like it literally bore out in their regular seasons too is that they they kind of waffled around for the first half of games and then tried to turn it on to the third quarter some games, mm-hmm. tried to wait until the fourth quarter in some games in order to figure out. Sometimes even waited until the six-minute mark 
of the fourth quarter to try and really come back in some of these games. Um, starting things out really well and establishing yourself in quarters one, two, and three is going to be such a healthier process for this team. Right. And and then establishing that process is going to be good. I think that they're going to try to get back to that, especially because they're going to change their starting lineup next year. Like it's a, it's unavoidable. Jeremy Grant, if if he's back, then he's in the starting lineup. If he's not back, then they're they're really going in a different direction. But like there are going to be changes, and yeah. Michael Porter Jr. is likely a part of it. And if you have to in- oh, incorporate boy. a second-year player, uh, you have to be dedicated to the process of doing that. And and if he is caught up in the malaise of waiting yeah. until the first until the fourth quarter of games, then that's a really really bad sign. Um, yeah. Go ahead. No, I was just uh, going to add to that. Um, I don't think, and you know. Well, I, I, I can keep this for when we're talking about specific moves, but I, I, I'm not convinced that they are 100% behind Michael Porter Jr. Hmm. Uh, just my opinion. Um, okay. Uh, I think, I, I, in a sense, that he is untouchable. Let me just put you that way. Not, not in a, we, we, were, don't, we don't support him. It's in a uh, upgrades, because the Nuggets are really hamstrung right now, and they really need to make a move and not sit on their hands. They, they can't afford to do nothing again this offseason. They're good enough to where they have to make a move. It's a different kind of thing from when you're bad, when you like are just accruing draft picks and stuff like that. This team really, really needs to make that going from really good to great move. And the hardest one ever. Uh, and I'm one, not 100% convinced just in my own view that Michael Porter Jr. is untouchable. Interesting. Um, on that note, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to play a game, you and me, about what was real and what was not real during the regular season. And then we're in the segment three, we will talk about the predictions for the offseason and what we can really expect from what the Nuggets are going to do from a trade, resigning, starting different players, etc. We will be right back. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're back. Denver Stiff Show. Ryan Blackburn here, joined by my good friend, the King of Thornton himself, Jeff Morton. Uh, that will never get old, as you know. Uh, it's 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 always good to have you on, my friend. And, uh, mm-hmm. and so, I, I want I want to hear this for for yourself. I I think you've yeah. told this story before on podcast, but it's it's always fun to to hear it back again. Did somebody give you the moniker King of Thornton, or did you give it to yourself? 
Oh no, that was uh, that was okay. There's a dispute. Um, I am convinced that was Nate Timmons who gave me okay. the King of Thornton because that's how he introduced me on the podcast, coming all the way down from Thornton. It's the King himself, Jeff Morton. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but Ross Martin, our other titular um, CSG co-host. Uh, claims that he's the one who called me the king of Thornton uh, first. And then Nate took it and incorporated it in, into the intro. Um, but I tend to credit Nate for popular, kind of like Chris Marlowe with the uh, uh, Joker thing. It's yeah. like Mike Miller may have come up with it, but it's it's Chris, Chris Marlowe who made it popular. Uh, I think that's, you could probably say split, split the baby, do the old Solomon thing and split the baby and say like, yeah, it's, uh, it's probably both of them, but Nate Timmons is the one who popularized it. And that's why everyone on Denver stiffs for a long time called me KOT. <laughs> it's good. It's like, honestly, it's, it's one of the best nicknames in Denver sports right now. And, and it's, it's definitely a claim to fame for sure. Because whenever mm. you're, whenever you reference King of Thornton, how many people are, are you really talking about it at this, at this stage? How many people could you be talking about at this stage True. other than the legend himself, Jeff Martin? So should I change my uh, Twitter handle back to the King of Thornton? Uh, I see. I always thought you should keep that because it's it's it really is a great branding thing. Uh, you you, can, sure. you guys can't see it, but but Jeff is stroking his goatee right now, just trying to <laughs> just doing the thinking pose of like, hmm, does this make sense? Mm. Uh, he's not he Why? didn't even know he was doing it. <laughs> it's very funny. Mm. Mm, yes, <laughs> yes, uh, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's interesting because uh, the the I didn't even think that it would it would be taken seriously because yeah. I didn't think enough people listened to CSG way back in the day, and then I noticed that uh, on, it was specifically on stiffs. People kept saying KOT, KOT, KOT. Yeah, and I'm like caught. I'm like, oh wait, <laughs> thing of King of Thornton. Okay, all right. <laughs> I get it now, and so I was like, so it kind of stuck. Uh, that's uh, great. So we really can, you know, you know, thank Nate Timmons for that one, though. I think. Well, Nate, good to good to hear from a a, a friendly face there. Uh, let's let's hop back into this. Uh, we'll, have I, have, I said uh, we're, we'll have to have uh, Nate on uh, the Denver Stiff show. We should. We should. We, I mean, I've I've had on Andy. I've had on you. I've had on Adam. I've never had on the the entire og cast so that to me seems to have you talked to nate before i have talked to nate before like okay. we, we've we have i i don't know if i would consider socialized but we we've i think we've been on skype calls together i, I if i'm not mistaken uh okay. but but it's been a long cool. time so but yeah. nate, nate nate's a good guy he's clearly, he's been semi-retired for a long time so oh <laughs> yeah uh <laughs> He'd get back into the game for a, a rogue podcast, I think. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. I, he, I I I I thought I was going to take like pulling teeth to get him on the 400th episode of CSG, and he's like, "Sure." And I'm like, "Great." And when <laughs> Ross was supposed to join us, Ross Ross was supposed to be there, and something happened, and he couldn't be. And uh, so we once had to get again had to do the CSG's version of Bob Sacamano. It's- 
Oh, that's a that's a reference that you wouldn't get. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Um, it's a Seinfeld. It's a it's a Seinfeld reference. Oh my god. Anyway, continue before I old man myself. I'm sorry. I have, I have not watched all the way through Seinfeld, but I have seen episodes, so it's not. Okay. I, if you if you reference any of the main four characters, I would I would get it. Um, let's talk about real or not real because there there is a lot of stuff in this bubble. There's a lot of stuff in this season yeah. that. If you perceive it as real, then it's easy to go forward into next season with with that in mind. If you perceive it as not real, Would you like the NBA version of the of secret. Uh, yeah, yeah, we could, we could, we could go there. If that's <laughs> you what believe you'd it like. to be true? It's true. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's that's where that's where I'm always at with with pretty much everything. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, let's 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 go start with uh, Jamal Murray's historic bubble play. Okay. Uh, true or not true? Uh, it's true. Uh, well, it's but real or not real? It's true. Re- it is real for the playoffs, one hundred percent. I have yet to see Jamal be consistent in the regular season, but in the playoffs, one hundred percent, he is. He is uh, playoff J. So yeah. I I like and, and that is funny. That's a, that's a good reference there. Um, <laughs> I I like to hear that because because I I don't know if he's going to replicate those specific numbers in a regular season yeah. environment. I'd actually guard against that because he he averaged forty minutes a night and he was shooting mm-hmm. in a really nice environment. And I don't think he's going to approach fifty forty ninety, uh, but he might. And and I think it's he's definitely capable of it. He's shown that he's he has the the capability to do some of these things, and that changes yeah. things for the Nuggets. They didn't know that they had a guy like that in Jamal, and now that now that he's proven it, so mm-hmm. definitely definitely changes things for the future. I'd say. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, it, it, I think the band box they were shooting in over there in uh, Orlando really did affect shooting percentages and uh but I, I think Jamal's been capable of getting close to 40 before close to 50 excuse me before so um in the regular season so I mean look anything's possible but like I said before if, if Jamal played that way he'd burn he, he has to play so hard he has to play so hard just it's a mental thing and if he did that all the time he'd burn himself clean out I I think I'm firmly in that Jamal Murray is a 16 game player yeah. Awesome. Uh, and, and for those of you that, that are curious to what that really implies, it means he may not get an all-star game or an all NBA, a, a nod or, or anything like that. And that could be, yeah. that could be really hurtful for Nuggets fans that are hoping to see this team on a, on a bigger stage. I think that he gets there. I think he, I think he does break through to the all-star game next year and then the numbers yeah. look pretty good, but, but it may not be an every year thing. He may not be a, like uh, I don't know it. Him him proving into the playoffs is so much more important than him doing something in the regular season for an All Star nod. So, yeah. I think he's him already vetting himself in that way has has changed my opinion on him clearly. Yeah. Um, speaking of offensive amazements in the bubble, uh, Gary Harris's offensive regression is that real or not real? Oh, that's been real. <laughs> All right, I'm going to get in trouble here, but I might as well. Um, Gary Harris had one year where he was amazing. Every other year, he has been injured and not a tremendous shooter, period. That's just the way it is. 
People need to accept this. Gary Harris didn't deviate from who he has been. It wasn't the injuries that caused this. The season that that he was like shooting so well, they were playing a lot of Jokic ball. And that ain't coming back, people. Jokic ball ain't coming back. And especially now that they have a two-man game with Jamal Murray. So even with that, Gary Harris is went back to where he was in college, coming out of college. You know, good defender, not really a tremendous shooter. Uh, Gary's issue is that he is six foot three and a half, six foot four. And he's guarding guys who are a lot bigger than him often. So he has to guard the point guards, right? Um, I think that, I think that there's a place in this league for defense specialists. And I wouldn't, say the Nuggets need to cast him aside or anything like that. But as far as who Gary is, oh, this is, this is Gary. This has been Gary the last two, three seasons. It's, it's him. Yeah, it's really too bad. And, and there probably is some sort of ex- extenuating circumstance on the injuries and just the, the wear and tear on the mentality that that takes to your, to your game. Mm-hmm. Uh, him also downgrading from being the second or even first option on some nights to then being the third option, then being the fourth option, then being the fifth option. His role has not been like it it has been ever changing based off of the evolution of the talent around the nuggets and, and adding pieces like Jamal Murray and Michael Porter jr. And and Will Barton being in the starting lineup versus off the bench and things of that nature. So it's, it's not all his fault, but the fact remains is that he, he has been a one-sided player and he's, he's been great on the defensive end of the floor, if not a little bit limited. Uh, But the offensive end of the floor really matters, especially as a starter. So I am, I'm really curious to see what they do there. Yeah. yeah, and and with with the Nuggets, I, I think they can get by with not having an elite shooter at the shooting guard position just yeah. because of the way that they play. Uh, but they do need a solid shooter. They do need yeah. somebody who can who can really space the floor and be a threat. And and I just I it hasn't been the case with them. Yeah. Um the Michael Porter Jr. Jeremy Grant combo being their best lineup in 2021. I'm going to go with, yeah, especially if they actually give him uh, MPJ real minutes. Um, Yeah. yeah, I I have no reason to think otherwise. I don't think Michael Porter Jr. Did anything this year to dissuade you from the notion that any combination with him in it is going to be largely a plus if he is paying somewhat attention on defense. <laughs> yeah. And I'm I I am I'm I'm gonna disagree with a lot of people here because all they do is Malone and they get all panicky about defense and stuff like that. There are some players who just are tremendous defender defenders. Uh Kevin Durant to this day is not a tremendous defender. He's good in moments, but by and large he's not special, you know. You don't need to be a special defender, right? You just need to be aware. That's all he needs to improve on is awareness. He doesn't need to yeah. become, you know, the next Michael Jordan two-way player. He needs to just become aware, and that's it. And as long as he's aware next year, that lineup with he and Jeremy Grant, providing that Jeremy Grant comes back, uh, is, is – I have no reason to think it would be any different than the way it was. 
Yeah, it was. It's been something that I've really highlighted throughout the year as as a group that I thought was Denver's future, just because of the way that they complemented each other well, and and they mm-hmm. each have strengths and weaknesses that really pair well together. Grant is always going to be on the perimeter defensively, uh, guarding the opposing team's yep. best forward, big type defender. Uh, EPJ is going to be hanging around the basket and he's going to be on the back line and he's going to be rebounding. And that's, that's his primary role. And that's good. Like that's that you want guys that are, yep. are they're versatile, but they also can feel like they can excel in specific situations. And those yep. two doing that, both on offense and defense, I think is a, a really big boon for for what the Nuggets are going to be able to do. I I I keep looking at the Jamal Murray Nikola Jokic pick and roll, and then having Porter and Grant out there for the for most of those minutes, and thinking, okay, yeah, it, it's a lot harder to close out to those guys at six nine six ten than it is to close out to uh, Gary Harris and Will Barton, uh, who are. Six four and yeah, six five. Yeah, I agree. Um, and so if they oh, can yeah. continue no, to in, shoot in, in, and they can continue to slash, it just it just opens everything up for this team. Well, let's face it; they didn't have a plan or offense for Michael Porter Jr. in these this bubble. They correct, and you could tell you can tell that Malone fully anticipated not playing him much, particularly if Will Barton was healthy. Uh, I did not, I, I mean, this is really what it kind of shows you is that they hadn't built MPJ into their plans until they were forced to due to Barton and, uh, and Gary Harris getting injured in the bubble and then MPJ playing so well in, uh, several yeah. of those games. It, it is what it is, but now they have no excuse. They have to game plan. They have to incorporate him into what they're doing and hopefully hopefully this will this will be an evolution where they 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 um and like i said provided that grant stays i mean i see no reason why that can't be a huge plus for the nuggets i'm with you it just it just they match up so well with so many teams with that duo on the floor uh one team that they may not match up perfectly with is the los angeles lakers who are in the NBA yeah. finals right now. And if you have Porter and Grant as the primary forwards on there, one of those guys has to defend LeBron. The other has to defend Anthony Davis. Yeah. Um, that's tough. But my next one is real or not real. Denver has a desperate need to find a counter to Anthony Davis. If they want to win a championship next season. Uh no, I don't, that's not re- I, I, that's not real, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Uh, I, I think Jeremy Grant adequately covered him. I, I mean, you're not going to stop elite players. You don't. It's like Matt Barnes was supposed to be the Kobe stopper. I mean, I, it's it's you don't stop elite offensive players. You just you just hope to get in their way enough to where they have a an off night and still score twenty. You know, sure. Um, I'm not worried about that. Where I'm worried about is how they run a lineup um, that allows them to maintain uh, a presence on the boards. Um, and I think that's not the question you asked, but that's, that's where I'm more concerned. But as far as uh, Jeremy Grant, I think they have a, they have a Jeremy Grant 
right there. And I fully expect them because who are you going to put on LeBron? I mean, come on. It's just like, well, it's probably it's, Jeremy Grant, right? He could do, you know, you, you have him on both. I mean, Millsap, well, uh, you know, he was okay, but it was very obvious that he was slow. Yeah. And old. And age yeah. comes at us fast. I can tell you as someone who is old that it, it, it just happens. So uh, I think Jeremy Grant should be sufficient. Where I'm, I'm more concerned is who else they have in the starting lineup. Uh, I think that's fascinating, and I think there there are definitely things that Denver can can do. Uh, I think they probably have to add another big that can play next to Jokic and Porter and Grant and Murray, and come up with a no. a lineup that that goes super big to co- combat a team like the Lakers. But they'll also have to be able to find somebody who can play small and and be a guard defender that can play with. Jokic and Murray and Porter and Grant and then be a little bit more diverse. And, but those four are the, are the players that you need on the floor for sure. Uh, I, I, I just think it's fascinating. And this offseason is offseason is really fascinating. Let's take another break. When we come back, I, I want to get into some predictions for the offseason. Uh, not without going, not, not going too deep into it, but it, it is interesting to see And I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this. We will be right back. And we're back. Denver Stiff Show. Ryan Blackburn here final segment joined today with jeff morton the king of thornton himself as we have discussed ad nauseum now and i i'm sure jeff is getting sick of me bringing it up at this point it's fine <laughs> it's fine anytime we talk about me it's a good it's a good day for me <laughs> don't forget about me <laughs> uh you know it's it, it feel if only people heard what we talk about during these breaks that you take I mean, uh yeah it's it's a, it's a long like, conversation me, that yeah. uh, like i i usually wait about three <laughs> seconds and then start up the next segment it's great uh, <laughs> uh i i want to get your opinion on five different predictions and uh, we could go rapid fire through them don't want to spend too much time on on any of this uh, just because it's, it's so early in the off season and things could change. We have no idea what's going to go on, but uh, first and first and foremost is probably the most important question of the off season. Do the nuggets re-sign Jeremy Grant? I put the chances at about 80% that they will. Um, They got his bird rights. They can offer him more money and it's going to be a constricted free agent class and adding in the pandemic money coming in, um, not coming in, but n- not being there, I should say. So yeah, I, I would say about 80% I would chance. I've, I've run the numbers on their salary cap and what they will probably be expecting in the next season. And they can't afford him. They even with Gary Harris and Will Barton on contract and Jamal mm-hmm. Murray and Nicole Jokic making the money that they're making, they can afford to bring back, Jeremy Grant, they just will, won't have a lot of money to fill out the other spots on the roster at that point, and they, they get a little bit uh, constricted that way. Uh, so really it is a, it's yeah. a 
prioritization between whether you want to add another big piece in free agency. Uh, although if you're operating as an over-the-cap team, you only have the mid-level exception to, to really add. So how big of a piece can you get that's better than Jeremy Grant, who you probably need to add and will be part of your one of your best lineups, if, if not all of your best lineups next season, as, mm-hmm. as we just discussed. Like, he has to be out there for a lot of these things. So mm-hmm. uh, I do think that they re-sign him, but it, it's going to be interesting to see what the final number comes in at because they may decide, hey, we don't, we don't want to be uh, – we don't want to be constricted by a large salary or a large cap number from what we deem to be a role player, no matter how important that role player is. No, I agree. I think they will, uh, this, this off season is going to benefit the nuggets as far as market and, uh, amount of money that people will be able to sign for. Right. Uh, question number two, how many of Paul Millsap, Mason Plumley and Tory Craig are back in a Nuggets uniform next year. Unfortunately, I just think the only one back is Tory. Yeah, I think I think there are elements that like Tory a lot, um, specifically the head coach. Um, I think that's it because he'd be the cheapest of the three. Um, maybe Paul Millsap if he's willing to come off the bench. At this point, I don't know if that would benefit Millsap at all. You know, I, I just don't know. And then Mason, I just, I just don't see a role for Mason. He's been unplayable, basically, in the playoffs. And I don't know if he is necessarily gives the Nuggets what they need. He was brought in primarily to duplicate as much as possible the Jokic offense. And now that the Jokic offense isn't necessarily being run as much anymore with Jamal's emergence, I don't see necessarily a role for Mason. Not to mention with regard to Mason that so much of what the the intrigue was with them was that you could play Jokic and Plumlee together and there was a thought that you could overlap their minutes a little bit and that just hasn't really manifested at all and that's that's like when when you get into a playoff situation and Jokic is playing 38 minutes a night bringing in Mason Plumlee for 10 minutes is is it's just diminishing returns and very marginal like actual ability to contribute in in those situations literally like what he's trying to do in those situations is survive for the five minutes each half and and the Nuggets are basically telling him don't die while he's out there and, and it's like okay please don't, I kill, mean, us. More like it. Can, please don't kill us yeah oh yeah don't don't uh, sure sure yeah uh that's probably better wording but uh i do agree with you though that that tory's probably the most likely guy to come back um i'm not sure if he does though i'm not sure if they bring back any of them and mm. i think there are some creative things that they can do with their rotation if they don't bring back any of those guys. And I think there's, there probably is like it, it, it's the, the, the creative roster baiter in me who wants to get creative with this roster. Uh, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Uh, Because I I just think that there, there are a lot of things that they can do uh, with those open roster spots and and they could they could add a draft pick that they think could contribute they could add somebody for the mid-level exception um i do think that like and, and 
even if they don't trade Gary Harris or Will Barton, like I think they're, they can make the money work. Um, it's just about yeah. being dangerous. It's just about being willing to take the plunge. And I don't know if they're willing to do that. Yeah, no, I agree. And uh, it, it's just when you get into a station like this where you have multiple players coming off the books, particularly a $30 million contract, it's, it's, it's knee-jerk to say that they just let them go. Uh, obviously, neither you nor I are, count, um, are accounting for loyalty uh, here. Sure. And uh, I think they, the organization probably feels some loyalty to Mason and Paul Millsap, to be honest with you. Uh, n- never mind Tory Craig. But I just think, pragmatically speaking, I don't see a role for either of those guys. Unlike maybe Millsap, if he agrees to come back at five million a year, five six million a year, and come off the bench, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I, I, even then though, like like there are still some things that I think they can do creatively. Um, that if if they are to bring in somebody who can maybe guard an Anthony Davis type, like does yeah. that like like. There, there isn't much of a, any room for Paul Millsap in the rotation if if they bring in that level of player because you're going to want Bull Bull yeah. there. You're going to want to stagger Michael Porter Jr.'s minutes a little bit. There, there are definitely things that they can do. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, but without getting too deep into it, number three, uh, do the Nuggets trade either Gary Harris or Will Barton? Boy, I, I, I'm. I'm uh, missing the point of rapid fire here by my long pause. That's okay. <laughs> uh, I, I, my feeling is that of the two, I'll, I'll, I'll avoid answering the question this way. Of the two, Will Barton is the more likely to be on the roster, in my view. Be on the um, roster, okay. Yes. Um, yeah, I put it to you that way. Uh, and. Gary is probably least likely. I don't know how, because it would have to be trades. I don't know how available a trade would be. I mean, I think they would trade Will for a, 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 a big, like a Bradley Beal-esque trade. I mean, I'm sure they would do that, or, or Drew Holiday. Um, I think they've tried to trade Gary multiple times at this yeah. point. So... <laughs> This isn't I mean, a secret I, I, anymore. It's 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 kind of kind yeah. of out there uh, for for the entire I mean, world. Like he he really has been like like on the market for a long time. Well, I mean, I mean let's face it. In 2017, they were looking at Kevin Love, you know, at a draft day trade. Yeah. So instead of Gary, so I yeah. But of the two, I'd say most likely it would be uh, Will Barton on the roster. Yeah, it was probably a poorly phrased question because I, I I probably should have said, will both of them be on the roster, one of them or neither of them? Oh, okay. Uh, I think if I if I had to guess between those three options, it's probably one of them will be on the roster. I don't yeah. know which direction they go, but I, I have a hard time believing that if you want to start Michael Porter Jr. and if you want to bring back Jeremy Grant to be in a starting rotation, uh, one of those guys between Harris and Barton is going to come off the bench if they're both are back. So 
it would be hard to just send one of them to the bench. Uh, things are logistically difficult, I think, with, with something like that. Well, ideally, Will Barton starts in a, in a uh, bench role because I think that is his ideal role. I think, I think when you see him, you think Jamal Crawford, you think, you know, Lou Williams, guys like that. Um, a guy who can microwave offense. And sure. uh, ideally, I think he is the perfect six-man guy. Um, I don't think he would mind it, to be honest with you, but you never know. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of my view, but I think, uh, you know, one guy of the two guys will be on the roster. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. I, I don't know what they're going to end up doing. It's it, to me, it could just as easily be them shooting for an upgrade as them doing a salary dump, because there are definitely some things that, that some implications here that if, if they do feel close on money, then they may try to avoid the tax. And so my next question to you, number four, do the Nuggets spend into the luxury tax to ensure a contention window? No. Pretty simple, right? I, with the, I, I, if they didn't, even with the pandemic, if they didn't have that RSN dispute with uh, altitude, I would say my chance, but there would be a very good chance they would. But, uh, even though that altitude money has nothing really to do with the nuggets, it's a KSE thing. I, I just don't see how with the double whammy of the, of the uh, pandemic and the uh, RSN thing, which is kind of a cell phone thing, you know? Yeah. Um, I just don't, I just don't know if they would be, have the willingness to do it. I hopefully hope, I'm hoping that I'm wrong. I'm hoping I'm wrong. I'm hoping they will do what it takes. I just, with those two things in mind, I just don't see how it happens. I'm not sure who they would bring in on the mid-level exception, but there are definitely players that they could bring in that would help the roster and would help contribute to a championship contender and make the team better if they were willing to spend it. Um, I've run the numbers. I I will keep saying this on this podcast that they can do it, that if they paid Jeremy Grant anything less than about 17 and a half million in the Mm -hmm. first, in the first season of his contract, this, this upcoming year, then they can keep Gary Harris, keep Will Barton and fill out the roster with bull bull on a, on a full-time contract, a couple of veteran minimums and a mid-level exception. Uh, which pick your, pick your poison there. It could be uh, Serge Ibaka or Tristan Thompson or Derek Favors or Jay Crowder or Joe Harris, although he's probably too expensive. Uh, but there are a lot of different pieces that you could bring in that would af- absolutely contribute to a positive Nuggets rotation and bolster what they can do probably a little bit better, especially in the front court than what Paul Millsap and Mason Plumley can contribute next year. So it's yeah. about being willing to pay for it. Well, I, I, you're right. And a, a Derek favors would work on this roster, particularly with how slow the nuggets are. Right. Yeah. This is not a running team, and they struggle to run fast breaks. I've never seen a Nuggets team struggle to run fast breaks until I've seen <laughs> this one. Um, 
they are a slow team and I can see Derek favors helping them out significantly. If he, if that was an option, I, I really could. And that, that's just me talking. That's not me, you know, reading the tea leaves, but that's just me talking. I think he would be perfect. Yeah. I mean, because like, like in a, in a Los Angeles Lakers series, he could start at the four next to Nikola Jokic and guard Anthony mm-hmm. Davis and be mm-hmm. physical with them and do things like that. So there are definitely things that, that the Nuggets can can try to do, uh, and I, it's it's just a matter of being willing to pay the price in order to do it. And we'll see if they're willing to. I, but it sounds like they're like they're probably not going to. I, um, I just I don't want to speak definitively, but I, I just reading the tea leaves of uh, business activity and all that stuff, and uh, just. All the, I mean, Stan Kroenke having to spend $5 billion on that stadium in LA. And yeah, I just don't see it happening, but I could be wrong. You know, look, Stan doesn't run this team. Stan is not the owner of this team. It, it is Josh and Ann Kroenke, right? Yeah. Obviously, KSE is involved and, and Stan runs KSE. It's a weird morass of financial interests with this team. But I just, I just don't see it with the climate as it is. I don't see it how they would go into the tax, particularly with losing all the gate receipts likely into next year sometime. Um, but they could choose to bite the bullet and do it. You know, you never know. I just, I hope I'm, I hope I'm just being pessimistic. Basically, is what I'm saying to you. There's definitely, like, there's definitely a situation where they look at this team and say, hey. They were one of the last four teams standing, and the only yeah. team that they needed to beat was the Los Angeles Lakers. If you re-sign Jeremy Grant and add somebody who can guard Anthony Davis, then you could probably like like at least tell yourself that you have a fighting chance in a series like that. Um, and yeah. and I think they'd be right, but we'll just have to yeah. wait and see. Uh, last question before I get you out of here. Uh, I want you to predict the five starters barring injury on opening night next season. Jamal, Will Barton, Michael Porter Jr., Jeremy Grant, Nicole Jokic. Okay. Okay. That seems pretty reasonable. I I have, like, that's actually, I would say that's probably the betting favorite in terms of what, what, they should be getting to because Barton better player this season than Gary Harris uh, wasn't healthy heading into the bubble, but uh, Michael Porter jr. He's it's, it's just going to be his time. Uh, Jeremy Grant. It's, it's his time. If, if he wants to come back, I think I'm going to go Jamal Murray, Gary Harris, Michael Porter jr. Jeremy Grant, Nikola Jokic uh, just because I don't think that Barton's back. Um, but mm. I could be wrong and, and I could definitely be reading some things a little bit differently, but to me, it seems like, like there, there was at least some level of, uh, discontent about the way that he was not in the bubble with the team. Um, I don't know if that's like, like this, this is, this is more me talking than anybody else. Uh, but he should have been there. And like 
this team with, with as much resiliency and continuity and chemistry that they have been priding themselves on for them not to have him for the majority of that run and not even be in the building for the majority of that run was, was jarring to me. And I think jarring to a lot of people. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It's something to kind of, kind of think about. I mean, Will's making what 12, 13 million. Yeah. It'll be at the, about, I think, 13.7 million next year. Well, you know, that uh, he would, uh, there would be many teams that would uh, want his type of six man ability um, talent on the roster. I mean, this is what his second, so he's got two years left, right? Uh, On his, he's got one year, one year and a player option. Uh, And and with the 2021 free agent class, he would likely opt out. Um, but he might not, and he might he might just say, "Hey, I want to be here. I want to be here, or I want to be somewhere else for two years, and let that be that." But I I don't know. There's there's just something about it that rubs me the wrong way, and and I I don't think that uh, we've we've heard the end of that story. Uh, Again, not me reporting anything, well, not me saying anything watch. wild, but it's it's something it's something to pay attention it's, to it's, to be sure. It's something I didn't consider. I'll be honest with you. It's something that I didn't really think about. Um, but it was in, in hindsight, it really was interesting that he wasn't in the bubble. Um, but I think all the players with major injuries had to leave, right? Like Gordon Hayward had to leave in order to rehab and all that stuff. They didn't have to. Uh, mm. It was, it was like, I don't know. Uh, you, you, t- you heard the story about Ryan Bowen uh, getting his surgery and then returning and rehabbing while he was in the bubble. I did not know that. Uh, yeah. So the Nuggets actually have a, a legitimate example of somebody on their, in their traveling party who had a major surgery and then was still stuck around the team and, and had, went through the, the recovery process that way. Interesting. Interesting. Um, oh. So, well, it, it is what it is. I, I look, it's, it is, it's at least just something to think about. I, I don't want anybody yes, to make too big of a deal of it. Uh, but it Jeff, you've been awesome. I, I, I thank you, of course, for coming on. I love talking to you and having these good conversations with you. Uh, you're always a joy. Absolutely. To, anytime to you want me on. Yeah. Anytime you want me on, man, I, I, uh, I enjoy coming on here, and uh, one of these days we'll have to have uh, Andy and Nate on with me, and we'll just we'll just do an old person chat with you. <laughs> the, it'll be the <laughs> the the twenty three year old moderating the old person chat. As always, it always is very <laughs> striking to me. Uh, and then when you guys get rolling, it's always hilarious because I I just I just kind of let you go. I, I it's like yeah. letting dogs off the leash and say, "Hey, have fun." <laughs> And we, we're old dogs, that's for sure. Old dogs, baby. <laughs> he is Jeff Morton. It's at jmorton78, if I'm not mistaken, or you at jpage78 mm-hmm. on Twitter. At jmorton78. jpage78 was my was my handle on Stiffs back in 2008. Love it. <laughs> hey, it's still your handle. You you don't you, you don't you don't come over it to is. the site too often anymore. But like, it's still your handle. You, you changed it back. It's a good look. I got I. I got to come visit the site and, and comment on something very speciously. <laughs> Love it. Uh, 
Everybody else, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Denver Stiff Show. We're going to continue to have more off-season content. Uh, we'll probably talk about the finals at some point, too, though I, I, I tend to think based off of game one, that's probably not going to be a long conversation. So we will we will be very interested in seeing how that pans out. And if it pans out in a Lakers sweep, then I don't really care to talk about it because the Nuggets were the team that was most competitive with the eventual NBA champion at that point. So there is something to be said for that. But everybody else, thank you so much for tuning in. Really appreciate you guys sticking with us till the end. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.